And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. All right, so you went out, you raised money, you realized that raising funds sucks, but you made it through it. Now what? You're going to have to learn how to work with investors, or at least it's advisable that you do learn how to work with your investors. And that's what I'm going to talk about today with today's guest. And before I introduce who that is, a quick word from today's sponsors. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Our Crowd. Do you wish you were in on some of the best performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020? <clears throat> Our Crowd investors were. And now you can join them in, in what's next. With Our Crowd, accredited investors have early access to invest directly, easily, and more importantly, early. Our Crowd investors have benefited from Our Crowd companies IPOing like Beyond Meat or being bought by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. Go to ourcrowd.com forward slash hustle. There's a link in the show notes. Click it. Counts free. Go check it out. They do some cool stuff. With me today, I've got Nick Spiller. Nick is a fundraising coach hailing out of Austin, Texas. He does all kinds of stuff, funding camps and beyond. Nick, welcome to Startup Hustle. Glad to be here, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I like to, I, I always like to say that no one really tells the backstory better than the CEO or founder themselves. So why don't you, why don't you lay that on us and give us a little bit about your background and what it's like to be a funding, a fundraising coach. Yeah. Happy to long, long story short, it's pretty awesome. Cause all I do is talk with startups and entrepreneurs all day and hopefully help them raise money. But you know, my entrepreneurial story started when I, I grew up in one of the least entrepreneurial places in, in the country, at least, at least the time, but still today, I, I think is Flint, Michigan. And I graduated uh, in, in, from a high school right outside of Flint in 2009. That was you know, right when the financial crisis was happening. The you know, Flint's unemployment rate was over 20%, which was something that hadn't you know, really ever been seen before. And, and you know, the whole economy there was built on one company one industry, General Motors, the, the American auto industry. And that was, if you look back in the 50s and 60s, Flint looked a lot like Austin. And it was one of the most fastest growing cities in the United States. And there's people flying all over the country to figure out how to build their city like Flint, right? But what happened is eventually the, the you know, wages and the price of building cars got too expensive and the, the you know globalization occurred and jobs went overseas and there were no other industries or no there wasn't an entrepreneurial spirit to fill that that gap and uh, i got super lucky was accepted into the the university of texas at austin uh, flew down sight unseen showed up and very quickly realized that entrepreneurship was a huge huge part of the the culture in austin and, and you know this was in the middle of the recession when much of the country was really hurting economically but austin was thriving, right? And was had recently became one of the fastest growing cities in the United States, one of the best places to live. And, and it was just clear that there's a deep 
entrepreneurial creative culture here that I hadn't really ever been exposed to. This is kind of foreign, foreign topic to me and fell, fell in love. And for, for, for me, it's, it was about a you know, entrepreneurship being a vehicle for expressing my creativity and what I want to do. And then, you know, I felt like the world was always laid out in front of me, uh, step by step and, 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 you know, entrepreneurship allowed me to really pick and, and choose my own, own adventure. And that's, I still think the most valuable piece of it is that, you know, building a billion dollar company or, or any kind of company isn't, uh, in and of itself amazing, but I think it's the journey and the people you meet along the way. And yeah. And so that was really how I discovered entrepreneurship. And I, I was, uh, timely showing up to Austin in 2009. I was, uh, one of the first people, on UT's campus to meet Bob Metcalf, who's the professor of innovation. He previously invented the Ethernet and did a bunch of cool startup stuff with Steve Jobs and everybody back in Silicon Valley. And so I learned from him and, and a lot of other great Austin leaders like Josh Bayer, who founded Capital Factory in 2009, now the one of the most active seed funds and largest accelerators in, in Texas and Laura Kilcrease and a handful of Ben Dyer, a handful of really notable people. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people have noticed Austin's had, had a great run the last 10 years and it's been awesome to be, be a part of that. Kind of fast forward, I've been a part of a handful of startups, uh, you know, directly involved as, as an operator of, uh, last four years up until the end of 2020, I stood up and, and founded investor relations at, at Capital Factory. So really formalized that program where we helped over a hundred companies raise funding, uh, we were we built a team that was making over 5,000 curated introductions between investors and founders at, uh, per year. Uh, and, and we also raised multiple venture funds that, that you know, while I was there, we averaged one, one and a half investments per year. And, and so about 200 investments I got to see uh, out of the fund while I was there, you know, sitting in the room, talking about it with, with Josh and, and, and Gordon, Brian, who are the three, three partners there. Yeah. And, and, and that gave me this, I think, one of a kind perspective on the startup community right now. And, and watching hundreds of founders try to raise money, I, I realized there was this dead end when the company can't justify that they're going to be a billion dollar company. And, and there's not a lot of people talking about alternatives to that. Uh, and really, how do you go, how do you get to a million dollars in revenue today when it seems like most sophisticated VCs, that's what they want to see before they, they invest, or at least you know, ten, twenty-five thousand dollars in revenues. How do you how do you get to that point using revenue-based financing? Uh, crowdfunding is super hot. I mentioned you, know, you mentioned crowd. Uh, our crowd is, is sponsor this this podcast. I think they do really interesting stuff with a bunch of other people in that space, and and uh, also just you know rethinking angel investing and, and you know potentially setting up angel deals with with uh, you know being able to finance a company to maybe. 10, $15 million in revenue, sell it for 25, 30, $50 million instead of, you know, an order of magnitude higher, which is usually the intent with traditional VCs. And yeah, so I, I end of last year launched my own investor relations agency where I'm the, the head fundraising coach. We partner with entrepreneurs on their, their funding campaigns by uh, primarily bringing our expertise from, from you know, these hundreds of funding rounds we've been a part of before, but uh, ends up being us setting a, co a company's fundraising strategy, building their investor deck, researching investors, that that sort of thing. It's really just being the 
the, the partner you need and the expert in fundraising as a you know, probably an entrepreneur, you're really good at your product, your industry and, and uh, that side of things. So yeah, that's what I'm up to. So, you know, raising money is a full-time job. We've talked about that a lot and we've talked to have a lot of episodes that are just about raising money in general, but we haven't done too much about what happens after. And, yep. you know, in my experience, often your, your initial investors or the people that come in on your first rounds are often the first people that come back and put more in, but they're not going to do that if you don't work very well with them. And I think this, this, this topic in general and this whole, like this whole subject is underserved. You know, because everyone's, you know, here on this show, everyone, every time I, I, every time I talk to founders, they're talking about raising capital, but they don't ever really talk about what happens right after. So, you know, when it comes to the the real work beginning, it's after you accept the investment. Uh, so where, where should we start when it comes to working with, you know, you, obviously you have different types of investors. You have friends and family, angels, VCs, PEs investment banks, corporate institution. I mean, there's a whole lot of different kinds. Do they require different approaches or is there a blanket solution? Yeah, I think every yeah, every investor will bring a little bit of a unique potential value to your company. And it's your job to get the most value out of them. And just like your employee, you want to get the most out of your investors. And so, uh, and depending on whether you have you know, investors from your industry that can provide connections to potential customers or investors that are really good with the product that can, you know, help you see things that uh, you can't see when, when you're designing your product. You know, I think you got to, you know, really almost, yeah, treat them and engage them like a part-time employee. And, and that's in a lot of ways, I think a big downfall of the startup communities, we don't do that. And, and maybe we feel like we're going to bother the investors, but in reality, I feel most angel investors don't feel very engaged by the companies they invest in. A lot of times they end up feeling like, hey, I just gave this company money and I haven't really heard anything. And so the more you can really make them part of the team, part of the experience, I think the more likely they're gonna be referring you to other investors and, and cutting another check when, when the next, uh, when the hat comes around again. I feel like that's something you can, could, and should clarify on the way to accepting the check. You know, like, I mean, I, and, uh, you know, my company, Full Scale, we've invested about $1.4, million in startups here in, in our in our part of the country, here in the Kansas City region in the last couple of years. And I always clarify that stuff up front. You know, I'm like, what do you, what do you expect from me? Because and, and some of that is me making sure that I'm not going to let someone down. Because there's things I can do and there's things that exist within my bandwidth and within my capability and also within my, I guess, my expertise or network. And, you know, now now with that, I also want to make sure that the companies I'm talking with or possibly invested in or have invested in have their shit together before I go and run, run them in front of other people. And I've actually had problems with that before. Mm -hmm. You know, people are like, hey, you have a huge network. Introduce me to all these people. No, not until you do this, 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 and this. Well, why? Well, because it's really kind of the way it's done. And those could be everything from your presentation to your financials to who knows. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what, how, how do you feel about the approach pattern? I, yeah, I think it's a trust equation. Right. And, and, you know, some people can build trust faster than others. And, and you know, old, I, I've seen data where investors 
care more about how much they trust the operator to steward the capital over the traction, over the vision, over all of these things, you know? And I think, yeah, when you, you know, you ask for those things, yeah, it's going to help. But in a lot of ways, you know, you want to just see, okay, are they going to deliver? Are they going to, you know, how are they going to interact? And so I, I recommend entrepreneurs engage investors in a small project before they even talk about investing or definitely before they take that investment as a way to nurture the relationship. And so when, you know, try to really, extend as much time as you can to nurture relationships with future investors. And I know it's often, uh, you know, done on a very short time frame, but the sooner you can start, Hey, just having exploratory conversations where you're sharing your vision, getting feedback. And then if you can find like just a little thing, whether it be, Hey, I'd love to just, you know, I'd love to see how you would go about making our product slide in our investor deck, you know, and just like, let's just start, you know, scratch or Hey, I noticed, you know, this really perfect person at XYZ company that could be a great strategic partner. I'm ready to take it very seriously. Would love to just go have a conversation with you and them and, you know, give them the pitch and and have feedback. Right. And so, yeah, like little, every promise you make and every experience you deliver on that's positive will build trust. And essentially, you know, you need, just like with your customers, you kind of take them from discovery to credibility to buying to referring you need to do the same thing with investors it's like okay one they need to just you know get to know you two it's like okay do they trust you enough to spend more time and then do they trust you enough to give you some money and then what's even bigger is yeah do they trust you enough to refer you to another investor to potentially put their name on the line uh which you know that could go that could be really risky at $25,000 investment could, you know, ruin a big relationship or, you know, let, let alone if it goes public or, or something and, and it gets, gets worse than that. So yeah, the sooner you can actually you know, try, try before you buy the better with investors on, on both sides. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that, you know, and some of the things like I'm talking about, they're, they're really simple. I think the advice I could give when it comes to working with investors is also, you got to be timely about it. You know, like all I've, had situations in the past where companies I've invested in, you know, they, they want this, 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 or that. And then you give them a list, you talk about what can, could, or should be done. And then six weeks later you hear back and you're like, wow, I already forgot about this, you know? And I think that part of, of, of being timely with stuff is also capturing the moment when someone's paying attention to it. Cause if I've already put money into your company, and you're taking six weeks to get back to me. What are you going to do when I put you in front of my best connections? Like that's embarrassing, you right. know. And and I, I think that those are some of the things that that really matter. And you know, like I don't know, I don't do a whole lot. Of, I I actually consider myself to be a connector of people, but I'm also really picky because you know it's just like. I don't know. We, we uh, just had an episode of Startup Hustle TV and we did. A, mm-hmm. And if you haven't checked that out, go to YouTube and check it out. Listeners, let's go to go to YouTube and type in Startup Hustle. Easy to find. But we're talking about entrepreneurship and mentoring and and how easy it is to fracture the relationship due to just like your own inconsistency. So, I, I mean, overall, I think if you want people to help you, you need to make it easier. I'm not mm-hmm. going to just say easy, but say easier for them to help you. Cause the more I have to go out of my way to do stuff for you, realistically, the less shit I'm going to do for you. I think that that's pretty fair to say. Um, totally. now, 
Now, like another thing too, is there's also, and we were talking about this before we hit record, there are other restrictions that just people in general, like I can't, I can't tell someone or push them to recommend to invest in you. Well, I can, but I'm not supposed to because I'm not a licensed dealer broker of said services. So maybe we should talk about that for a second. Like when it comes to, because I think expectations and what you want out of your investors is important, but there are certain things that they just can't do for you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think you can't recommend an invest an investment, um, you know, as to, to another investor. And pr practically, I think the real at the end of the day, what I think matters most is investors want to have a direct relationship with the founders. And so the more you're leaning on other people to really pitch and sell other investors, the harder, harder it gets to do. Uh, but, you know, I think you can get intros, right, and make the connections and getting really good at that is is what's what's most important, you know, so. All right. So in the last three years, you mentioned, you know, your relationship with Capital Factory and, and you know, helping facilitate over 5,000 curated meetings. I mean, what's the most important thing to like, what's going to what's going to kill your what's going to kill you before it's going to help you like 5,000 5,000 meetings later, uh, you get a pretty good idea of of how you can how you can slay the golden goose in the first couple minutes, and then you don't even get a chance to work with investors. I think one of the hardest things to get a gauge on as an entrepreneur is when it's going to increase your odds of raising money to build your product and build traction, or to go raise money. And you know, I think a lot of ways, if you just spend time or, or use creative you know, bootstrapping method, whether you get a nights and weekend job or you get a you know, small credit card, you know, and then you go get traction, get, you know, product, things like that can, can exponentially accelerate, exponentially accelerate your, your fundraising. Uh, so yeah, I think talking to investors and being focused on, on fundraising too early, it can be hard because some people can do it, you know, and if you've have uh, your PhD from Stanford or MIT, or you've raised money and returned it to venture capitalists in the past, you can go out and raise money in the beginning. And I feel a lot of entrepreneurs see that they, they want to replicate that. Yeah. And, and, you know, actuality, there's, you know, probably over a million dollars, over a million startups trying to raise money. There's 30 million small businesses. So, you know, even if you know, 1 million of them are trying to raise money from VCs, there's only 5,000 new companies that get funded every year by, by VCs. And you really need to get, get competitive. And then I think, you know, what you mentioned earlier about the timing piece and like you, it's, it's not just, it's not an absolute measure of am I fundable or am I not? It's comparative to the next entrepreneur that's pitching the investor that might not have anything to do with you. But, you know, if you let momentum die in a relationship and the investor, you, you lose that top of mind with the investor, you lose that, that excitement. And then, you know, every day an investor is getting, you know, anywhere from a dozen to, you know, hundreds of new opportunities sent to them. And, and so you just need to be on top of that. And so, so again, not talking to investors too early, having your ducks in a row, understanding how the process is going to be. So you have the materials, you have a data room, you have a deck, you have the questions answered, you have a go-to-market strategy, you, you, under, you research the investor and you understand their psych, psychological background and like their tendencies and like all this stuff. And then you go 
talk to investors and you're going to feel what well, you're going to feel more prepared, more confident. And that's, what's going to make the difference uh, when, when you go talk to people too. And then you'll have everything on hand and you can keep moving and try to talk to them on a weekly basis or on a daily basis. And then you just keep them on the line. Uh, and, and, you know, like you're building a team and you can, you can only do so much, right? I think that's the other thing. People, can't spread yourself too thin and you have to you know, say a lot of no's to honor, honor your yeses and, and deliver on, on these, these promises and these deadlines that, that you set. Cause it again, comes back to, to building that trust. Yeah. I and mean, as I mentioned earlier, in most cases, you know, investors, firms, whomever, they've got a whole lot of shit going on. And uh, if you have someone's attention, capitalize on that you know, and waiting too long or coming back with substandard stuff or I don't know, there's a zillion things you can do that are going to that are going to ruin that attention. Now, I want to talk about some uh, we'll keep delving into this. But as I mentioned earlier, uh, this episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Our Crowd. Go to OurCrowd.com forward slash hustle. Today, you can join Our Crowd's investment in Shield, an AI powered platform that helps global Financial enterprises meet increasingly complex communication compliance rules. Shield addresses an $89 billion market with tools that automatically detect and alert on behaviors leading to market abuse, employee misconduct, and information sharing. You can get in on it early on Shield and other unique opportunities at OurCrowd.com forward slash hustle. Once again, the OurCrowd account is free. Just go to OurCrowd.com forward slash hustle. There's a link for John or for Nick in there. Sorry, didn't mean to call you John in, in there for Nick as well. If you want to learn more about what he's doing and helping, helping startups raise capital because people it's hard. I think I, I talk to founders all the time and they're like, yeah, I'm going to go raise money. I'm like, have you done it before? No. Oh, good luck. You know, there's, there's a lot to be said about, you know, what can happen over that time. So, you know, here in the first half of the episode, we talked a lot about communication and capitalizing on the attention that you have, you know, I think that it, we should talk about just a couple of basic fundamental things because I don't want to get through this. Like one of the things is updating your investors regularly and often about mm -hmm. the financial condition of the company and the progress you're making, which I think I is woefully not happening yeah. in a lot of situations. And look, even if you're not doing and I think a lot of times it's because you went in and you said, look, we're going to do this and here's the hockey stick and all this growth. And then it doesn't happen. Yep. So then you begin to not want to tell your investors about it, which I think is a strategic error because first off, they probably didn't believe those pro the projections anyway, because projections are wrong. But I think that omitting or avoiding telling the truth, I mean, how often do you see that happen? This is a fundamental behavior of founders going back to the number of just the scale of deals you saw and, and the uh and, and yeah when things get bad founders retreat and they become reclusive and that's very frustrating as an investor because that's when the investor can help you the most right and the, the investors are the people that have been through co-founder breakups that have seen lawsuits filed against them that all this bad stuff that comes you laid off thousands if not hundreds of thousands of employees before Right. Like this is all the stuff that founders deal with. And like investors are the ones that have like seen it. Right. And, and, and so, yeah, this is I don't know how to fix it. Um, and then, yeah, then as soon as things go well, they pop back up. And it was, it was almost like a capital factory. It was a physical because I was there for I was basically working there for 
10 years straight, right? The last four years I was there every day and you'd literally, you know, not see a company for four months. And then all of a sudden you'd see in the space every day because they're trying to, trying to raise money. And yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't keep you engaged uh, as an investor. You're certainly not getting the most out of your investor by, by not engaging them in these, these tough moments to, to figure it out. Um, and, and, and yeah, I think it, it's, it shows a little bit of just an avoidance, which is not a good thing as a founder. You really need to you know, early on face these things straightforward and solve them before they get, get really big. Yeah, I can't help but think that you're trying to avoid talking to me for reasons you don't want to explain if all of a sudden you're, if you go from responsive to not, there's a reason for that. And like I said, I, so much of what we're talking about, it, the first part of the conversation is involving communication. And now we've kind of moved on to consistency, like be consistent with stuff. And remember, your investors are your pipeline to introductions to other investors to a whole lot of stuff and your relationship with them is the impression of how you're going to handle that relationship if they introduce you to other people and i'm more concerned about destroying my relationship with people in my network because of the way that other people are handling those intros Mm -hmm. than I am about what's going on at your business. Because here's the thing is, as investors, especially the more sophisticated you deal with, they're going to figure out the shit that's wrong with your company. Yeah, I mean, it's not like, I mean, it's, and it's usually not that hard to figure out. So, you know, before someone gives you a check for a million bucks, they're going to do some diligence on you and they're going to run you through the gamut. So like I always tell people, and I'm sure you do as well. I'm like, get it out. Just like say, Hey, here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. Here's what we're good at. Here's what we suck at. This I think is this how is we're going to, this is how we're, it's how we're going to accentuate our, our strengths. And this is how we're hoping to, to work on our weaknesses. Perhaps you could help us with these weaknesses in the following ways. Right. Yeah, this is where it's so counterintuitive to whatever you know, every other profession in society. You don't do what's planned; you expect to be punished, right? Right. In this scenario, it's you will be rewarded by ninety percent of your investors by engaging them in these bad situations. And I feel like it's this fear of oh, I'm going to go tell my investors, and and I'm going to get in trouble, and maybe they'll take the money back. I don't know, uh, but in reality, it's it, I. Nine times out of 10, uh, you know, when I've seen it, the investors step in, it's really kind of, you know, profound in a way. And they're like, hey, this happens, no worries. Like, here's what you need to do. And, and like, I'm here to help you do it. And so, yeah, I think the more you can kind of overcome that fear of getting in trouble, because at the end of the day, the investors are in the deal. They're not trying to, it's going to be a pain to call back the money or get out of it. Like that, I've never really seen that happen at least at the early early stages maybe if it's a you know tens of millions of dollars it's a different <clears throat> different story on on that but uh but yeah i think the more more you can be honest and transparent with with the investors the better and then also i think you get to such a special relationship with people when you do that you know it's it's hard to to be transparent and open and when you're in a startup in the trenches every day and you just have to do it to live i think that's one of the best best parts about it because just all the all the defenses come down and you just gotta gotta solve problem problem after problem so ne next on my list here you know the investor and investment community is small and it might seem like they're and it's gotten it's ballooned in size i mean it's gotten a lot bigger 
I was actually recording an episode uh, a few weeks back with uh, Ron Shigeta, who's out in uh, 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 Silicon Valley. And he was talking, remember when there was only like 30 or 40 VCs and now there's like 5,000 different outlets. But man, these people all talk to each other and they really do. And they'll call each other and ask each other about the investment or if you talk to them or whatever. So you got to, you have to be cordial. You can't like, just because one, one fund or one person didn't want to put money into what you're doing, don't turn around and talk shit about them because that's going to probably come up. And, right. you know, that word travels fast and, you know, why you want to be grateful, you don't have to like go wash the people's cars every morning. But at the same time, like it, back to that whole, what I was saying earlier, you know, wanting to help and get behind people that openly don't give a shit about your help. It's not a good approach. <laughs> it's not, not rewarding. Yeah. It's investors love to get, get together and talk about other startups. It's, it's one valuable, but also just, just fun. Right. I think a lot of us are in it. And so yeah, very, very, uh, very important factor that you can use to your advantage too. Right. And I think you want to not, yeah, definitely don't, get a bad reputation that you'll, you'll, you'll poison the whole, whole opportunity. But also if you're able to essentially engineer a competitive investor environment, by you're talking to a lot of them and making a good impression. And then when they're talking at these parties, everyone's kind of, you hear this, you know, noise about your company from multiple angles. Cause you've, you've really targeted this investor. That's I think what really gets people to pull the trigger and, and gets excited. So that's one thing I always focus on with, with uh, my, my companies is having a informal stage where we can build, you know, 20, 25 qualified investors uh, that we have relationships with and then, and then engage them in parallel when we're really ready to raise money and, and then, you know, go out to the, you know, make it a big deal at that time, everyone starts talking about it. And that's, you know, I found to be one of the most effective ways to get, get that first check, that first mover to, to happen is when you start feeling like, oh man, this thing might go, go quick, or this is going to be a good deal. I want to, and then someone's going to say, I want to be the leader and put my, put my name on this. Well, oftentimes a no turns into a yes, because in my experience, at least here in my part of the country, these things often happen happens in groups and bunches. So the person that said no, well, whether it's because of FOMO or something else, you know, like they find out that their buddies are in on it. Now, look, as an investor, the more people that are coming in on it, the you begin to mitigate the risk. Right. There's more resources. There's more people to help. There's more connections. There's more all of it. And sometimes that person that said no is like, huh, what did I miss here? And they go back and they dive in. And then sometimes it's just because they know the other person across the street's pretty freaking smart. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you're like, maybe I don't get it. Maybe I don't understand it, but I'll, I'll, I'll get in on this. And that's why if you're just walking around burning bridges left and right, I mean, you never know what road you're going to go down. And another thing too, is like, I think a lot of people when they're raising money, they go knock on the wrong doors, you know, <laughs> like they go knock on the door of some place that only writes $5 million checks, but they're looking for $150,000. Like that's a no, it's never going to be a yes. So if you get shitty about it, now it comes the time when you need that $5 million check. Trust me, even though they see a lot of deals, they don't forget. It's, right. it's easy to, it's easy to be remembered when you're that person. So 
you know, I mean, I, and then, you know, I think that's where we can kind of roll into this next part. I mean, investors are people just like you and me, right? hundred mm-hmm. percent. Mm-hmm. People make decisions, right? And, and, you know, I think you gotta, uh, focus on eliminating waste in your, your fundraising, right? And let that piece on talking to the wrong investors is just one of the most worst, worst, you know, killers of companies. I don't think it actually kills it, but it definitely stops people from, from fundraising. Uh, cause, cause those time those conversations take time, right. And they end up to being multiple conversations. Uh, and, and, and yeah, I think you really need to, to target in, the, the people that are viable to write a check. And the other thing is you, you might need to target away from the, the active professional investor community. If you're, if you're having trouble raising money and finding, you know, wealthy individuals who aren't necessarily seeing all of this deal flow that aren't getting hit up by every investor, but could, you know, maybe are in your industry or uh, you have connection to them in the community. Like those type of people can be good, good, you know, people to focus on early on when the, yeah, the VCs and the people that are easy to get in touch with, you know, aren't, aren't a fit yet. Cause you know, VCs have armies of associates that are ready to talk to you on the phone all day and will be nice and probably helpful a little bit, but they're, they're sitting there cause you know, no means not yet. And, you know, ultimately, like you said, the, the you know, investors can change their mind because companies change to become more, more you know, valuable and, and uh, you know, it's good. So yeah, no, there's no, no, it's just, just, uh, maybe later. So I got a, I got another one here that I think mm-hmm. is now look, yeah, as an owner of a company or a founder, an entrepreneur, you make the decisions that are in the best interest of yourself, your company, all of it. But oftentimes people go out, he, Nick, are you familiar with the term asshole? No, that's a new one. An asshole is someone that is out there asking for everyone's opinion, everyone's input, everyone's advice, and then doesn't listen to any of it. That's one version of an asshole. Another version is that person that doesn't know you from a stranger on the street and is hitting you up and like, I'd really love to buy you a cup of coffee and pick your brain about everything you've learned over the last 10 years. And then I'm sitting there thinking, wow, so an hour of my time is worth $3. (laughs) Um, Either ones are assholes, but assholes often go out and take up a bunch of time for a whole bunch of people. They already know what they want to do. And then they're just going out and asking everyone about it. And then they don't ever, they don't ever utilize it or they seem to ignore the advice or any of that. I think being an asshole is a great way to kill your relationship with your investors. I'm glad to introduce you to that term because I guarantee you, you will, you will never forget it. Cause once someone I, I, pointed it out to me, I was like, man, I know a lot of assholes. Right. There's a lot of them, a lot of them out there for, for sure. That's yeah, no, that, that's a, a huge thing. I, I specificity is key in startups. I think it starts with your, your pitch even. Um, and, and, you know, I think a lot of people try to get very vague and broad with their pitch to cast a wide net. And in fact, I found like the opposite works and the more like specific you get, the easier it is for someone to un- understand upfront, like, okay, here's what it is. And then they can extrapolate into all the other things you can do. Josh, Josh Barrett, CEO, always says that at Capital Factor, always, always says that, give him credit. But, you know, and, and I think that's a, a big, big piece of it. Um, and uh, uh, 
Yeah, so I think you gotta really be, be careful. I forgot. So uh, a, a typical ask call situation would be like you're trying to be good at six things before you're good at one at your startup. So you go ask 15 different people and they all say you should focus on this one thing. You ignore all of it and just keep on trying to be good at six different things. Next thing you know, you're average at four of them. Two of them never got done. And now you're trying to raise money again. And everyone's, I mean, people talk. You get right. back to that that typical thing. I've literally had this discussion with other investors. And I've said like, yeah, you know, I tried to tell them I, like 10 times. Oh, I told them the same thing. And so did so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. Oh, okay. Right. That's yeah, lot, they don't want to listen. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there that think they're taking the advice, but they're not actually in, internalizing it. And yeah, my my if you are thinking right now as a listener, you might be an asshole. My advice would be to find a specific reason you need to talk to this investor and call that out in your outreach. And something like, "Hey, Matt, I noticed you're like really big. You have deep history in the book industry. I just got my first book deal. I would love your, you know, recommendations on book publishers, like, or like book publishing avenues or something like that. And get very specific, uh, four hour work week, Tim Ferriss, like puts this like very well, like how to ask specific questions. Um, and, and also just to kind of get in touch with high level people that, that I've learned a lot from. So recommend, I don't know exactly where in four hour work week, they, he talks about how to get specific with the questions. Um, and, and also thinking about like in this person's world, what, what gets their brain moving? And, and I'll tell you for me, every student or even new entrepreneur that reaches out and says, Hey, I'm, especially if you're affiliated with the university of Texas, but really any new entrepreneur that says, Hey, I'd love your feedback on fundraising. I'm going to hop on the phone with you, you know, and like, that's all I do all day is talk to first time entrepreneurs about fundraising. And so it's like, what in that investor's mind are they, you know, will they perk up to, to, to kind of make that happen? You know? Yeah. And that's the, you know, I, I like to say come proper, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to bend someone's ear and want their time, their effort, their attention, like take it seriously, you know, like, I mean, I get, I've had, I've had, uh, you know, people that ask for an appointment and then you're, you know, you're, you're, you're sitting there, you're ready and they don't show or whatever you're, and then, like, Oh, I'm sorry. I missed it. Can I reschedule? No, no, fuck. No, you can't. Cause I got other shit to do. I had other shit to do before I put you on my calendar. So that's <laughs> like back to that communication, that consistency. And also just like, I don't know. I just think just some general manners um sometimes we're right. not good everything at that as people life, right yeah. like everything in life yeah. you know it's the same, same yeah. thing especially with with investors and just kind of knowing they're you know, these little mannerisms of how you treat people and how you interact with people in the early days are the number one thing they're evaluating you know and and they know your projections are bs and you know they know your product's going to change and that you're going to screw up at some point and but like, if they know that you're someone who's super ambitious and they can see that light in your eye, like the eye of the tiger, so what I say it, that like, hey, this person's not going to stop until it happens. And they've got a very, you know, they took the extra 15 minutes to watch my YouTube video and listen to a podcast and like have like some real contextual knowledge. Like I already, you know, because you spent all this time, I don't know how many podcasts you've had, but you've put all this out there probably on the internet for free already, right? And And to not like go even like, touch that obviously you're not going to listen to all of them but you know there's probably a podcast on 
the topic you're trying to talk about, right? And so you should definitely, that's a jumping off point. Um, so yeah, I think that that'll you know, save, you know, cut through a lot of the, the noise. And I really believe if you got the right messaging, I don't, you know, whoever you are in today's world, you can get in touch with them, you know? And it's like, it's really not as yep. much who you know, but if you can say the right thing, it's like a code to unlock the door. Like you can get in touch with, you know, president of the United States, the CEO of Apple, like, you know, all, all these folks, cause it's, you know, world, world is flat and we're all, we're all checking email all day. It's true. And you know, one of the things on that same subject that drives me nuts is when you are asking questions, it clearly should have been entered into Google. <laughs> right. You know, like, did you really feel like I was the right, I, I say that to my employees sometimes. I'm like, did you really think I was the resource on that? Like you wanted to ask me how to create a formula in Excel. Right. Like maybe that's something Google should ask. Now, before we move on to the founders freestyle and I, in my episodes, I've started a puzzle. I say my episodes, cause I'm not the only host of this show. Make sure you tune in on Tuesdays with Andrew Morgans and learn all about e-commerce and Amazon stuff and join innovate her founder, Lauren Conaway on Thursday to talk about a whole lot of other stuff. If you haven't have enough start a puzzle at that point, Come on over to the YouTube and check out Startup Hustle TV. We're off to a hot start and planning on growing that even bigger and and faster than we already have. Now, before we head to the Founders Freestyle, once again, a big thanks to OurCrowd.com. Go to OurCrowd.com forward slash hustle. There's a link in the show notes. Thank them for helping us bring you today's episode can learn all about their investment platform and how accredited investors are using their platform to invest directly, easily, and early. Thanks again, our crowd. And once again, click that link, people. Go check it out. They have a really cool platform. If anything, just sign up and go poke around. They don't bother you about it, meaning like your phone isn't going to ring two minutes after you after you sign up. And I like that about our crowd. So uh, I, I mentioned the Founders Freestyle. Uh, it's how we end our episodes. I'm going to let you go first here, sir. Uh, and, you know, before uh, I'm buying you some time before you give the best advice you can to founders that might be uh, uh, wanting to work with their investors. And, and once again, I'm here with Nick Spiller, fundraising coach, works with fundraising camps. There's a link to Nick's LinkedIn in the show notes. I'm assuming you work outside of Austin as well. Oh, yeah, definitely focused on companies all over all over the world. OK, so now I've bought you enough time, sir. Uh, what's the best advice you could give to to startup founders when it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, working with investors down the road? Well, I think the first thing you got to understand are, are the dynamics of a venture fund, uh, and, and you know this is counts. It, it helps with how you interact with angels to just really understand that as an entrepreneur, you're not the customer of the venture fund, the venture funds customer is the LPs that, you know, and, and those are the largest financial institutions in the world. You know, the, the founder is the user, right. And, and, you know, I think they want to make you happy, but at the end of the day, the largest institutions in the world, the Yale endowment, the Saudi pension fund, these, these big buckets of money are going to need to get paid back in a big way in order for everybody in your deal to win. And I feel like all the messaging from the VC community is, is just focuses on, hey, let's get really big and the outcome will, there'll be a bunch of outcomes out there for you when, when, when you are that big and you conquer the world. But in reality, you know, 
very, very small percentage of companies even get the financing, but of the companies that get financing, 0.01% of them achieve a billion dollar valuation and 0.02% of them receive a hundred million dollar or larger valuation. That's from, from PitchBook MVCA data. Uh, you know, and the other companies are left with very little liquidity options, right? And, you know, I've met entrepreneurs who've grown companies to 20, 30 million in revenue, but they raised, way, you know, at high valuations, maybe had to raise 50 million at their last valuation of 75 or 100. And, you know, they've got a board full of investors that need a much higher return on investment and they can't get out of it, right? And, and so, yeah, my point is understand how the funds work before you take money from them. And also know there's a ton of alternative options out there. Uh, crowdfunding being one of the most exciting, uh, you know, our crowd is, is awesome, but um, you know, a lot, lot of options there. Also revenue-based financing for, for cash flow companies is, is a huge, uh, I think, untapped opportunity. I'm, I'm specifically working on a new document to do that at the angel level, which isn't done enough. Uh, and, and, you know, just a fully funded angel deal. You know, ten, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it was very common in Austin, probably a lot of other, you know, tier two startup cities, non-coastal startup cities for angels to fully fund a venture, you know, put $2 million in followed by another two, they'll grow to 10 million, 25 million in revenue, sell for three X revenue multiple. And that's a 10 X plus return with those economics. Today, I think nine out of 10, if not 10 out of 10 companies that are funded by angels proceed to go into the venture ecosystem, therefore precipitating this need for a billion dollar outcome uh, and, and this high growth, right? And so, but, but if you just strictly stick to angel funding, the expectations and then you're not tied to this fund of companies, uh, it's just you're really treated on a one-off basis, you know, smaller investments and, and a company with $10 million in revenue, that's a huge company. You know, that's still probably, I don't know, five, 10, top 20% quartile of companies uh, out there. And so, so yeah, that's my, 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 what I'm preaching these days and uh, happy to connect with any founders who want to dive deeper on that. LinkedIn is always the easiest way to, to reach me. I'm on there all day. Uh, and yeah, it's been, been awesome to be here, Matt. Really, really appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on the show. I appreciate you coming by. I'm going to freestyle with my new three C's, which is communication, consistency, and cordial. Nice. Made those up today for you, folks. Those that's brand new. You heard it here first. But I mean, I think you got to communicate with your investors whether things are going well or not. Um, I think no one's going to come in and for the save and swoop in and help you out when things aren't going well better than a great investor partner. Um <laughs> You know, and and that, you know, that's and then the consistency is, you know, if, if you ask for help when you get a rebuttal, be consistently fast and and, you know, don't don't be present and and in my inbox like every five minutes and then gone for four months. And then that last part about being cordial, I think, is important. Uh, I think that's something that that we sometimes uh, get wrong here in 2021. And, you know, remember, it's hard to take context in written communication sometimes. So think it out or make a call, pick yep. up the phone, make a call. It's like a lost art. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's people, you know, they're like, Hey, can I, can I make an appointment to call you? I'm like, how about you just call me? And if I'm busy, I won't answer. And then I'll call you back when I'm not. 
Right. Get, get out there, get out there. I, I, I'd add, I'd, I'd turn it into a formula and say three C's equal T and then, you know, three C's equal trust. Uh, Cause ultimately yeah. you could go pull, pulling that back. I actually uh, wrote, I actually wrote that down the, the two words trust equation. And I think yeah. that that's uh you know, I think that that's a, a great phrase. And you know, what's your equation? It doesn't mean that, that the same one's right for everyone. Um, but you got to get it right, you know, and that's it. You got to figure that out, figure, yeah. figure out how to communicate with people, what they like, what they want. Some people are analytical, some people aren't, but overall get to work, figuring it out. And remember that, you know, once you've done all that work to bring investors in, it, that doesn't mean it's over. It's actually where it's just beginning. So right. Nick, thanks for joining me, man. I'm going to catch up with you down the road. Sounds good. Have a good day. All right. See you. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button. Then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. We do it.